Welcome back to another episode of Miles More Madness. It is Thursday. We are in March. I am joined as always by Coach Tim Miles. Tim, how is Los Angeles? It was a phenomenal time. Great weather. I uh, had a chance to meet with some Fox executives. Uh, that was fun. Get you know, spent some time in their studios. I also uh, hung out with Mick Cronin, Michael Lewis, the UCLA staff. Watched them practice and watched two of their games. Both two barn burners. They won them both to uh, be in first place in the Pac-12. And uh, and I played golf and had a great time playing golf. How many rounds? Just two. Just two? Who'd you play with? Uh, uh, you know, me and some of the guys, Joe Pesci, Justin Timberlake. <laughs> Just a few of your bros. Yeah, Rick D's. Weekly top uh, 40. <laughs> Did you play any, uh, like, were the courses any historic courses or anything like that? Or yeah, I, 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 nice... played, I played uh, Lakeside Country Club, which was awesome. Uh, it's right there. It's down in Burbank and uh Really a fun course, great to play. It's right next to the, uh, you know, all the movie studios and stuff like that. Um, and uh, also played uh, LACC, Los Angeles Country Club, which is going to host the uh, U.S. Open here pretty soon. And that was a blast, too. Played with my you good fan- friend Harry, Ro- Harry Rosenberg, world traveler. You fancy, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so how the hell did UCLA happen? Like what? what, what well, what's going on here? you know, I'm, I here's what was fun for me. You know, I've seen all these you know practices, and I sat down <clears> and watched Mick, and they just started with passing and catching, uh, pivoting. You're talking about all the littlest things: rebound with two hands, catch with two hands, do it again, mm-hmm. do it right. You know, just this pretty simple expectation about we're going to play right, and and. It, it rubs off. I mean, you know, the things they did in practice, they just have simplified their offense. <clears throat> Some guys have changed positions. Cody Riley's like a center only right now and has embraced it. And he's a fighter, a hustler, a scrapper. Um, at this point, Tiger Campbell's their only point guard, so he's got the ball a lot, a lot. But they're doing a great job defensively. And, you know, I never thought they were going to beat Arizona State. Uh, I just thought those guards that Arizona State has were just – going to kill him, which they did kill him, but they didn't kill him enough. Right. And, um, uh, Remy Martin and, and, and the whole group. But at the end of the day, when you look at it, you know, Mick is, is probably done the uh, Buzz Williams at Texas A&M has done a, those, those two guys from where their teams were to where they've come. Greg guards, another guy like that. Uh, y- you see what they've done with their team. Uh, and, you could maybe say the same about Tom Izzo at Michigan State because of all the trauma and, and distractions the team went through, but they were expected to be good. But the unexpectedness of of Texas A&M to get that win last night at Auburn and Mick to be you know tied for the top or at the top or a chance to win a conference championship if they can beat Southern Cal on the road, um, unbelievable. You know, just unbelievable. And I tell you what, Pauley Pavilion was a cool place to be. You know, I mean, you're sitting there. John Lithgow walks by. Uh, uh, Carrie Champion from ESPN uh, walks by. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, there's Jamal Wilkes. Uh, there's uh, Curtis Rowe. I mean, I just I mean, just one guy after the other. You know, Bill Walton, obviously, in the gym. Richard Jefferson. Uh, it was it was a, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Good weekend. Yeah. And Mick, 
Mick Cronin has done a phenomenal job. Were they walking by like, oh, holy crap, it's 10 miles? They, uh, uh, usually, yeah, usually. usually. But yeah. I was not taking pictures, no selfies, no autographs was my mantra in Beverly Hills, which I was surprised I wasn't. Uh, That's my life mantra. More, more well, <laughs> I thought I'd be more warmly received, actually. But, you know, maybe I should hang out down at the Southern Cal games. Maybe that'll be different. I don't know. But maybe it's just me. What, how were you not warmly received? <laughs> I was joking. I was joking. Okay. There's a lot of important okay. people there. You know, I, I thought, it was I sarcasm. Maybe, I thought maybe Mick wasn't very nice to you or something. No, it was no. just sarcasm. It was just dripping <laughs> with sarcasm. That... Did you talk to uh, Jamal Wilkes, by the way? I said hi. You said hi. He is one of the I, nicest individuals I've, I've ever talked to. I, I've met him before. Uh, at a, Teron Lou was honored uh, at an event in Los Angeles at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and Jamal was uh-huh. there, and I had a chance to talk to him for a few minutes. That was yeah. the game I, I sat, or a game, that was the event. I sat at the same table as the principal from Saved by the Bell. Mr. Belding. Mr. Belding, that's his name. Yeah, I sat at his, he and I sat at the same table. He probably that's tells the, the story that he sat with Tim Miles in Nebraska College oh, back then. Oh, obviously. That's like, Michael, that's our era, right? Like, you, you've seen every Saved by the Bell, haven't you? Of course. Richard Haskins is his real there name. There I knew Michael well, come in with that. I, call, I called him Mr. Belding. As you yeah, should. Who wouldn't. Yeah, well, after I figured, after somebody told me who he was, because I'm beyond that generation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're an actual boomer, so. No, 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 no. You can't I say know, okay, boomer year. to me. <laughs> well, yeah, year. one year. Mr. Ass, year. you ass. <laughs> what are I you? What are you? I don't even know. Probably a millennial, but screw that. Hey, what we're was millennials? The, we're the we're the heart of the millennial what, generation, CJ. Yeah, what was the um? What was the movie where they? What was the movie where the mall, mall, where they all just smoked dope at the mall? The one guy that doesn't speak at all. He's got the beard. Mall rats. Mall, mall rats. And then yeah. he had another one, like Kevin. Well, they've that Kevin Smith. Yeah, he's got a lot of movies. Clerks and Mall Rats. See, I bet you guys just uh, chasing that. Amy. I bet you guys just watched those and clung to them. No, you're forgetting that I'm a boomer at heart, so I haven't seen. So you're even younger than that. <laughs> no, I'm I'm uh. older. I'm older, older inside. Oh, boomer at heart. I wasn't even listening to what you said. Yeah, it's okay. Sorry. Yeah, you rarely. Well, do. Mallrats is a great movie. You, you, you nailed me, Tim. Mallrats yeah. is a great. I, I, I feel, I feel it from you guys. You know, <laughs> one of my favorite movies is The Music Man. If you come to my house, you have to. If you stay for more than one night, one of those two nights, we will stay up and watch Music Man. <laughs> All right. Good it was stuff. the first rapper. Robert Preston was the first rapper. Just Google or search any. I've, I've seen um, It's been a long time, but I've seen yeah, the music. But man. just go back and look, and you listen to him lyrics and what he's doing. He's rapping. He's, he's spitting rapping. rhymes. Yeah. Spitting rhymes. <laughs> Pool is this table. An invite to, is, this an invite? is this an invite to the great Miles Manor in Lincoln? It is a manor. It is. M-A-N-O-R. Manor. I got it. That's right. Bang. I just there, advanced there in the go. second round. <laughs> Beller and I will just, just randomly show up at some point this uh, this spring. So, hey, L.A. was great. Uh, Mick Cronin <laughs> was phenomenal. And we we're going to have a – this show will be good because we're also having Kevin Pagua on today. Sh- that's um, good at, job, Tim, At some you, point. Because I, yep. I screwed up that. Go, yeah, please, please uh, yep. tell the people. And 
if people don't know who Kevin is, Kevin is an associate athletic director, uh, works with basketball, used to be the Dobo for uh, Tom Izzo, has done a lot of different things uh, with analytics uh, for obviously Michigan State, but also nationally, he developed the KPI. And the KPI is a, it, it examines resumes of the NCAA tournament uh, team. So he's not looking, it's not predictive measures, which we know are two thirds correct and one third wrong. Um, it's, it's, it's who's going to get in the tournament. And he has been phenomenal. Like, I mean, he has got, I think last year, 65 out of the 68, 67, 67 out of 68 in previous years, 67 out of 68. Um, he's really done a great job. Um, you know, he usually he's at 97% accuracy. No one else can say that the net can't. And we're going to talk to him about the net too. Because I've got some real questions about the net, you know. Got some real issues with the net, don't you? <laughs> I, I, I'm bitter. I'm, I'm bitter about a lot of things, you know. And it comes out in anger, and that's what a real comedic form is always, uh, you know. Is it, it comes out uh, through because of anger? Ask Jerry Seinfeld. He's an angry you know guy. What, you know what I'm mad about? What are you mad about? I'm I'm mad about. So last night I get home. Two o'clock in the morning, brush my teeth, pull up Twitter one last time. Oh, I see a, t- a tweet from my old buddy Tim Miles talking about uh, Udoka Azabuke in NIL. So N- I'm not name, mad, I'm age, not, and likeness. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm not mad about your tweet. I I support your tweet. I I I retweeted it, but I know we've talked about this before. But just like how ridiculous is it that so Yudoka Azabuke came over to the United States like eh, about 10, 10, 8, 10 years ago, right? Yep. Saw his brother for the first time in Saw his brother how many the, years? Like in 10 years, the, the last yep. week. So leaves his mom. His, his father had passed away and leaves his mom. And the first time he saw her since that, that time, he left. And the only time you've seen her is when that Kansas went to the final four two years ago, which, Hey, cool thing. But if you think back on it, she gets there, I think the night before, if I remember right. And they play Saturday, they lose, they go home. So he, he probably, yeah, he like, he, you have to go home almost immediately or whatever it is. Yeah. He, he didn't like, he barely got to spend any time with her on that trip. Right. So that's the only time he's been able to see her since he came to the United States. And he goes to a university that makes a lot of money in basketball. He plays for a coach that makes a ton of money in basketball. Bill Self could bring his mom over to the United States 10 different trips, and it wouldn't be, you know, he wouldn't even feel that in the old bank account, right? So it's disappointing to me that these things can't happen because of the rules yet they should be able to happen like what are we what are we doing here that it it takes his team getting to a final four for anyone to be able to step up and help his mom come over and see him when go go ahead Tim no and for the fans that didn't hear or see the tweet or hear Doke what Azabuki said was we're going all the way to the final four that way I can see my mom because that's the only way he'll be able to see his mom this season. And yeah. 
And, you know, you just sit there and think about that and you're like, how stupid is this? And we're talking about paying everybody and do it and letting them go sign autograph. Why don't we do something that allows families to support their, their kids, go watch them play when they're from foreign countries or far away, or even if it's from an hour away and a family wants to spend a weekend at a hotel, why, why aren't we able to find a way to include that with uh, what they're already getting with cost of attendance mm-hmm. Um, and, and do that. And, and it still allows them to be amateurs. I would imagine, you know, now we're not worried about, you know, taxes and, 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 uh, wages and all these other things. And, and so I, I just, um, I, I tweeted like, we can fix this somehow we need to try and fix this. And, yeah. and that's what made you mad. Just thinking about it. Uh, I don't think anybody would have even it, like, even I look at it, and I, it didn't occur to me until he said it. And then when you, mm-hmm. you know, empathize with that, wow, it really stirs you, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I actually thought about writing my column about it last night, but I was like, yeah, I should probably go bigger picture here. But um, I, I was I was ready to go to that that rant at my keyboard last night, but um, I didn't. But Maybe. still, like, it's it's just it's it's pretty messed up that that I, it's going to take for him to get to a Final Four for that to happen where. Um, what are we, what do we do? Like, how are we hurting in any kind of way to be able to help these families to get to these games and especially a situation like that? So if you haven't heard, I have an idea. Um, and sometimes I've said the coaches, the head coach should pay for it because we are monetized the most, you know, is it within every, um, conference, an arbitrator would say that um, that university or athletic department can provide X amount of travel stipend for a, a player's families. And like maybe that kid uses it to get back and forth for Christmas or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they, they get a whatever, a Visa card with, you know, 500 bucks on it. 5,000 bucks on it, whatever this, this arbitrator says, you know, there's all kinds of law firms that work with, with universities for various reasons. It, it wouldn't be hard for each, you know, for a sports law, any law firm to go in and arbitrate and figure out, okay, Azabuki, we can get his, his mom. First of all, you can't make it to every game, but his mom wants to come twice a year or once a year. All right. Just it's going to cost be able this to come much. for a week to, to visit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and so we figure that out. Um, uh, Isaiah uh, Enan from uh, Minnesota, his mom is from Germany and she flew in and there was only one time all season where she could fly in and see two home games. So it was whatever Iowa and whoever they played right after Iowa. So she was able to come in for five days, see her son, spend time with him, eat with him, cook for him, uh, you know, because they're from Germany. And, and so, you know, it was just cool for them. But she's like, I have one chance to get here to see it like this, you know, and, and, you know, wh- why aren't we just more helpful with that? Or why don't we look at other ways besides just paying the player to make the experience better for the full family involved? And there's gotta be a way, but I'm just the idea guy here. It's gotta be a way. Well, I hope somebody's listening to your ideas because, uh, I, I think you're, you're on to the, I, the right. I have right said this over I'm, and over, I'm, I'm listening, by the way, some, for some yeah. reason. But when we were asked as coaches, I put it in the, I sent it to the NABC, I sent it to the NCAA, the same thing over and over. And so, you know, you imagine a a family at one of the Big Ten schools that makes a run and they have to drive from, let's say, somewhere in Ohio, uh, spend a night downtown Chicago with parking or wherever, get to the game. Uh, That's an expensive trip. And then you might have to go anywhere in the country for the NCAA tournament shortly thereafter. 
You know, if they put you in the South or something like that, all of a sudden you're Ohio State's down in San Antonio, and now that family's got to get down there by hook or crook, you know, by driving or flying or whatever, you know. And, and you know, I think, I just think we could do a better job. And there's, you know, you know, but like we say, there's just not enough money. Yeah, it's disappointing. So let's talk about something that's, that's more, uh, you know, happier, happier Fun. days. Let's, let's talk about snacks. Snacks, snacks, and so, you know what? When when snacks caught it, right? He was smart because he didn't dribble it. Because one, he knew he wasn't going to go very far with his dribble, and two, like he's just like, if I got one crack to get this thing off, it's right here, right now. And you could see a little extra follow through, a little extra heave in that thing, but he bottomed it out. He, I'm proud you know, of that it guy. A, it was his, you know, it was his fourth shot. I, I, I knew he shot one other time. He shot, he, he got four of them up. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, M- Michael Ballard last night had a great move. Uh, and his buddy Brevin Pritzel took him down, said he traveled. Pritzel's blind. No way. It was a great move. He was a walk-on that scored. Uh, I think it was his second score all year. Uh, the Vermont story is a phenomenal story. It might make you cry. But the young man at Vermont that was in a car accident, he was actually a very good, highly touted recruit uh, and then had a severe brain injury. And they got him a bucket the other night, which I thought was super cool. We saw the same thing at Michigan with Austin Hatch. Um, and those are sad stories, but meaningful stories. And and if you ever saw the um, Austin Hatch story where he survived two plane crashes and, and he worked out just to get himself, I mean, he was a stud. And... Um, some of these stories are sad. Some are fun. But Snacks, Snacks is, man, he's getting buckets. Getting buckets. So if anybody ever wants to, you know, I encourage people, if they don't know that Austin Hatch story, Dana O'Neill, I believe when she was back at ESPN now, obviously, writing for The Athletic, go to The Athletic, uh, wrote about Austin, did a phenomenal job with that. And and our own uh, Brian Bennett, co-host of the, uh, the Beller and Bennett Hour, Right, uh, wrote on the right on snacks the other day. So Thomas Lee goes to Jackson State. Tim, can you guess his uh, shot percentage? Like the percentage of shots he takes when he's on the floor. Ken Pompa uh, has a page for him. It's pretty awesome. I haven't seen it. Uh, I would say a hundred percent. One thirty-seven point six. I didn't know you could go over a hundred. <laughs> I'm going to look for him right now while we're on. Uh, 81.7% possession percentage. So, yeah, just a, 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 a beautiful, beautiful day. That, that, was, that was pretty cool. I, I was curious if you have any uh, walk-on or manager fun senior day or just fun walk-on manager moments. I mean, you had a uh, walk-on last year who really contributed for you down the stretch. Well, That's pretty cool. I, so we, have a, we had a kid named Johnny Trueblood that – uh, started and playing just for a great freaking name too. Yeah, just a and great so, name. <laughs> literally, Johnny is on the bench mob one year doing funky little moves. The next uh-huh. year, I walk out of the locker room in the Big Ten tournament where he outscored Bruno Fernando, uh, six to four, <laughs> and uh, and and he's got I'll bet five cameras and thirteen microphones in front of him, and he's got the <laughs> biggest smile on his face. And I just yelled out the legend of Johnny Trueblood, and uh, it was it, it's it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. But you know, I've never dressed a manager, um, and uh, 
uh, or anything like that. But, you know, getting those guys in the game, I think is really cool and really fun. And because, I mean, they work their tails off. And so I don't have a snack story because there's nothing better than that. Uh, But at the same time, uh, I think the legend of Johnny Trueblood was a pretty good way to end my career at uh, Nebraska. I I know it was kind of a bummer that that it was the end, but those two two weeks or so at the end where your guys were just battling for you, that that had to be one of the cooler moments of your coaching career, right? I mean, yeah, you beat Butler, you beat uh, Maryland, you beat Iowa, uh, we beat – uh, maybe it was Rutgers or somebody like that and end up losing to TCU and lost. Uh, I think uh, Wisconsin might have banked in two threes to beat us by like four in the uh, quarterfinals of the Big Ten tournament. So it was it was a, a well-fought battle. And uh, we were down to about six scholarship guys and playing six guys. Uh, no, maybe it was five scholarship guys even. If Johnny was our – yeah, it was five scholarship yeah. guys. And uh, it was just fun. It was, it really was uh, enjoyable, you know. And, and so uh, it, I, I enjoyed it. What is Snacks' his real name? Thomas Lee. Oops. Thomas I don't Lee see him. is his real name. So you got to click on, click on the Jackson box State. score. Yeah, yeah. Click on the box score for that game. And then his, you can click on his name on, in that, inside that box score. Oh yeah, You're, six foot, um, no weight listed. Foot, no weight. <laughs> Isn't that great? One hundred and thirty-seven point six percent. He gets that many shots. <laughs> <laughs> a chucker, and he drew a foul. He drew, he's drawn fouls. Yeah, he got that? fouled. You're uh, talk, talking about your Nebraska team made me think of. Uh, what's going on at Texas right now. They're, they're not quite down to five guys, but it's pretty dang close. And they've, they've won five straight. Like what, when it gets to the point where you've lost so many guys, I don't want to say it's like easier to coach, but roles get, to, is, is it, does it help when like roles are so defined at that point? You it don't does. Have anybody worried about anything yeah. besides just like oh. playing their butts off for you? Yeah. So oftentimes, you know, when you're at smaller levels, and you can't get all the skill or all the length and athleticism, you kind of can recruit what I call the football team. You know what I mean? So this guy is a defensive stopper. He knows what he's doing. This guy's Dennis Rodman. He's an offensive rebounder. Like, And then you can fill those guys in. And these guys know like what their limitations are. But then as you get higher and everybody thinks, you know, or has more skill, but maybe thinks they're, um, uh, they're ready, more ready than they are, uh, you know, so you might have a young guy sh- that you need to play a role, but he he's not down with that. He thinks he should be the man, and and so it's harder. And all of a sudden, boom, some guy gets hurt. This guy, you know, blah blah blah. And all of a sudden, you've got like five guys, you know. And so you're playing a couple guys that are just happy as you know a uh, bug in a rug, you know, to be um, playing. And and then you got your top guys where you say, listen, like I used to tell Glenn Watson, uh, James Palmer. Uh, and Roby, like, if you guys don't give me, you know, 60, 65, you know, at a minimum, we're dead. You know, we're dead. And then I said, you other three. So I called it the big three and the other three. I said, <laughs> I, and I didn't say who it was. And I said, Thor, Tanner Borkart, Johnny, you guys got to get me eight. And Tanner Borkart says, the big three will get you eight. Don't worry about it, coach. So then we called the, those guys, former walk-on, walk-on, and Thor, the big three. 
and the other three had to get 65. <laughs> yeah. Who, who doesn't want to hear, hey, you got to get 65. Oh, you mean I can shoot just about every time? All right. I'm down for well, that. Well, yeah, which they did anyway. I mean, <laughs> it was truly no difference. <laughs> like, uh, time to bring on somebody that actually knows what they're talking about. Joined by, we're going to be joined by Kevin Pauga from, uh, from Michigan State. Tim, I'm going to let you, uh, let you introduce him. All right, folks, we're here with Kevin Pauga. And uh, I got to say that Kevin is a, is a young man that I have found over the years. He's worked for Tom Izzo, I believe, as his Dobo, and now he's an associate AD uh, for Michigan State Athletics and uh, working with men's basketball. He's also got his website, KPI, which is a, a metric that, that basically judges the resume, the body of work. And he's, well, he is, the last six years, the most accurate man and metric, his metric, of picking the field. Of the, he's, he usually gets 67 of 68 teams right um, because the committee screws him over on, like, Nebraska in 2018 or something <laughs> like that, 2019. Yeah. So Kevin is our guest today. He's been a good friend of mine personally. He's been very helpful for the Big Ten schools and, of course, Michigan State and his work. And, Kevin, I'd just like to welcome you to the Miles Moore Madness podcast. It's good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Any, uh, any man who's willing to put up with Tim Miles <laughs> is, a, uh, is someone I respect. Hey, there, there's been nothing like over the years the occasional late-night message from, from Coach Miles and uh, um, trying to, to decipher some numbers and – Always a uh, always a welcome sight when I get one of his messages, and uh, certainly being in the in the conference over the years, always always great to see him as well. Well, you don't well, like the you don't like the you don't do the predictive stuff, which which Tim does not like. <laughs> I, I'd like to I'd like to start out asking you, what do you think of the net? And and I know Tim is very interested to hear that answer because you can guess how he feels about it. Yeah, so so with the net, I, I think that the that the first point on it is that it's really been um, a significant improvement over over what the RPI was. Um, the RPI was was part of the the selection process for close to forty years, and it was built in the time in the early nineteen eighties when when frankly the um, the information that was available um, wasn't nearly as cumbersome as as now. I mean, back back in those times. Um, just to get the results of games on the West Coast, you probably had to wait an extra day's newspaper just because they they often came back as uh, as a missed result and uh, and a late game. So you, you you had to wait that extra night and to be able to to put together any sort of metric as a result of that, um, doing anything more than wins and losses um, was somewhat difficult. And and in some ways, um, the RPI outlived uh, outlived some of its life expectancy and and maybe. We as an industry were a little bit slow to to kind of move on from it. But what the net does um, as a primary sorting tool for the NCA um, is it's a better indicator as to how good your team is, whereas the RPI was was maybe a, a better indicator as to how good your resume was. So to sort your opponents by um, the opponent quality as opposed to the quality of the opponent's resume makes a little bit more sense on, on its face as long as it's used as, as that part of the process. Kevin, Tim Miles here. Um, what, uh, so I've, I've got the next half hour here. Okay, so um, 
why is so folks the net is combined with let's say predictive measures and results-based measures just like kevin said so the predictives uh look forward of what they think the team is is going to do and a predictive measure will often tell you like well head-to-head um uh head-to-head competition or results really aren't that big a deal. It's one element of what we do, which I think is a bunch of bullshit. Um, (laughs) If I beat Michigan State at Michigan State and it's only one element, screw you. It's 10 elements. (laughs) I mean, that's not easily done. But but predictives are like the Jeff Sagarin and Ken Pomeroy and what you see ESPN BPI. So they, they look at the team and the quality of uh of the opponents they play and how well they do and and how so that they come up with an expectation every day of how many points you're going to score and how many points you're going to give up to yep. certain teams and then it judges you on on if you meet those standards and if you mm-hmm. don't perform you know uh, then uh you know you're you know, you fall a little bit if you perform well you you go a little bit so it, it's uh it's interesting you know because they start all the predictives start with a number early in the season with last season's numbers still baked in there. And, 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 and the other thing is that it's really not a big deal. If I beat you uh, or you beat me, you know, you're still whatever team you're supposed to be. And, and, and so now we have those three elements in predictives. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, where Kevin is on this other side of the table, which involve which the net is the umbrella over all of these things. He's got KPI and RPI had been, I don't know if they used RPI or not, but that's another results-based. Good. So they really use strength of record from ESPN and KPI and only those two, correct? That's that's it on the results-based side. That's correct. Okay. So we have five metrics that the net looks at and then comes up, I believe, with their own net number, which is just another number. So now we have six numbers. Why isn't the net number the net? It's not gross. It's net. We have our total. We sub it. And when you should have a net number, that should be your number then, if that's what it is. But but what it looks like to me is they've made the net just look like another predictive measure. Yeah. So so I will I will agree with you that net tends to be a little bit more predictive in 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 nature, Mm -hmm. which which again as a sorting tool, um, I I think that 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 part makes sense. I I want to clarify too that that net. Um, Wait, does, Kevin. Yeah, go ahead. Kevin. Yes. Aren't the quads, aren't the quads, which are a subset of the net, isn't mm-hmm. that the sorting tool? So the quad, the quadrants sort, um, but they use the, the net rankings to sort. So, so okay. in, es- okay. in, in essence, it ends up being both the quadrants um, and where those cut lines are, are dictated based on what, what your net ranking is. Um, so, gotcha. so you're, you're building your net and in, in some, and in, in some sort of ways, um, where your opponent ranks in the net is, is in some ways more um, correlated to to um, to your actual selection. You're what, what you're trying to do is you're trying to play teams with good nets. So you're trying to play high quality teams in order to build your resume. And and, and to your point, um, part of the reason why KPI and strength of record have been a little bit more correlated to selection over the years is that the committee is is telling teams, um, whether implicitly or explicitly, that that you need to you need to prove that you can beat teams. You need to build a resume in order to qualify for the tournament. The thing that's that's um, been a little bit new to the process, um, and there's been correlation. So over the last two or three years, as some of the predictive metrics have been introduced more formally, 
is that uh, is that the seeding has actually correlated a little bit more closely. It's, it's about 40% closer than it used to the previous several years. Um, the seeding of the tournament is correlating to some of those predictive metrics. So, um, so I think that that's important. I, I want to hit too. You you brought up the head to head, and, and I would give you this this comparison um, that the head to head certainly matters when it when it's close. Think of it as a as a tiebreaker um, in conference standings, just like you would uh, would use to determine your conference tournament seedings. Um, but but for instance, if the Dallas Cowboys are ten and seven, and the Philadelphia Eagles are nine and six but the Eagles beat the Cowboys twice during the regular season, there's still a game back because in those other 14 NFL games that each of them played, the Cowboys were so much better than the Eagles that they, that they played well enough to offset the head-to-head. So I think that the committee does look at the head-to-head, um, and oftentimes the, the head-to-head between two teams under consideration, um, it's going to be a quality win for, for somebody. Um, but that's where that head-to-head comes in more as a tiebreaker than anything else. Kevin, Good points, Kevin. Think... Wait, ahead, I can... wait, CJ. You just have to save it. So, um, <laughs> so, 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 Kevin, ha- in in the old days when it was RPI, here's what here's what coaches did. This is what you do: just schedule guys that are going to win a lot of games. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm at Colorado State. So we schedule Sam Houston State as a bye game. Okay, because yep. we know they're going to win 23 or 24 in the Southland. We'd schedule Montana because we knew they were always, it was Larry Kostowiak, uh, Wayne Tinkle. You know, they were going to win the Big Sky. Those yep. were our bye games, right? Because mm-hmm. we knew those teams were going to win 23, 24 games. I also scheduled a game short. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to take a mid-major loss on the road or yep. a 300 opponent. Okay. So you mm-hmm. could kind of game that system, right? And that's why people didn't like about it, you know? Mm-hmm. So how do we game the net? Is it because it seems so stacked toward five conferences of one that I was yeah. a part of, you know, yeah. how, how do the mountain West teams and the a 10 teams get 10 quad one games? There's yeah. no way. And if quad but, one is the Holy grail, what, what are mm-hmm. we doing? Yeah. So, so there's, there's a couple things to, to, to unpack there. You're right. That, that the, the way that you gamed the RPI was to play the best teams from the worst conferences because those were the teams that, yes. uh, that, that typically won the most games. And because the RPI was, um, was, so, um, was so dependent on the win-loss record of your opponents, um, you were trying to play teams that had a better win-loss record than maybe the quality of their team. And, and the difference now with, with net is you're trying to play um, more quality teams than worry about the win-loss record when there's differences between the two. I think that you bring up a good point relative to, to the opportunities. Um, and there's all sorts of things going on outside of uh outside of scheduling where where some conference realignment has has certainly um affected um some of the conferences that, that you're talking about um and uh and, and that's certainly been a a big part of it but i i would tell you this that um what what i would be doing if i if i were some of those conferences what i would be i would look to minimize the margin of error in scheduling and and the old bracket busters event had a lot to do with that there was a list outside of the power five conferences um, Gonzaga, BYU, and the American and the Big East. I think that, that I think that I have that group right. Um, in the top 75 of net last year, I think that there were 20 schools um, that fell into that uh, that fell into that group um, that qualified as a quad one road game um, to to be able to to try and create that opportunity. The problem is that among those 20 schools, um, that group's not playing each other enough to create the opportunities against each other. Now, easy for me to say. 
um, because in some ways you're trying to guess what those what those schools are. And and for Big Ten schools, um, look, there's a lot of Big Ten teams that are that are really good this particular year. Um, but you've been able to count on um, getting a certain number of uh, of quad one, quad two games within the conference, um, minimizing that margin of error in in some of the conferences that you mentioned, finding those teams. Um, East Tennessee State and Northern Iowa are two really good teams that uh, that certainly didn't have the number of opportunities that some Big Ten teams did. But in both cases, ETSU's got to win at LSU. Northern Iowa's got to win at Colorado. They both have something to hang their hat on. How do you create something to hang your hat on um, in order to, to somewhat maximize those opportunities? That's how Belmont got in last year. They beat Lipscomb twice. Um, and, and, and frankly, that, that regional rivalry, they play twice a year, even though they're not conference, uh, conference mates anymore. Um, those two wins had a lot to do with Belmont getting in. And yet there's some power conference teams, frankly, that, that aren't in quad one or quad two. Those are, those are some of the teams that, uh, that don't do you nearly as well as playing some of the other teams I mentioned. You know, when we, um, uh, we beat, uh, it was uh, in in eighteen nineteen when we won twenty two regular season games, went thirteen and five in the uh, Big Ten, and that wasn't good enough according to the committee. Uh, we beat Michigan, who went and played for the, in the national championship game. That was yeah. a quad two home win. Yeah, a yeah, quad it, two home win. It's impossible to get quad one home game. You only get three or four opportunities a year quad one home games. So so I'll so I'll give you this number. Um, that uh, because quad one at home is only one to 30. So there's literally, there's, it's literally less than 10% of division one qualifies as a, as a home game um, last year. So during the 2018, 19 season, there were a total of 60 quad one home games on the board. There are unicorns out there. Um, and, and because those, those 30 teams, Played a grand total of sixty non-conference road games. It was it, it just so happened it was it was exactly two, um, and, and and some of that is is that the non-conference has had such an influx in the number of neutral site games, um, MTEs, um, like there there's so many of them. I mean, we at Michigan State played six road neutral games out of eleven non-conference. I mean, we played more road neutral games than home games. Um, but the catch in that is that five out of the six road neutral games were neutral site games. Um, so, so there's been um, between the, the tournaments like the Maui Invitational or the Battle for Atlantis or, or other neutral site games like the Jimmy V or, or whatnot, um, those events have, um, have uh, really in some ways um, moved games off campus. Um, I think that there's, that there's a mindset to try and get some of those games back on campus. Um, but that's where it speaks to um, the idea that you're getting a quad one home game. Like it's, it's really not a thing. And to have that limited of, of an inventory, that's, again, where um, if, if I'm East Tennessee State, wow, like I, East Tennessee State against Northern Iowa would be one heck of a game. Now, should either of those schools known to, to schedule that game four months ago? That's probably an unfair statement to make, and that's where kind of a bracket buster concept to mitigate that margin of error maybe comes into, into play to, to help some of those schools generate some, some quad one opportunities. Kevin, uh, just in, I'm just going to stop at, at this, though. Uh, you're exactly right. I think there needs to be like a group of five, so to speak, consortium, scheduling consortium, to be able to drive that number. 
Yep. Uh, because it's so important to get those games. And like when you hear there's only 60 opportunities of quad one, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And, you know, it's hard to break into that. Uh, but uh, but I would ask you this. What do you think uh, an average worst record for an at-large can be in quad one? Yeah, do you understand so what I'm saying? Like, I, so, so I do. I do. And, and, and I think that um, – I think that there's a little bit more art to that to, to that than science. I mean, look, like there were a couple teams last year that that were three and eleven against Quad One, and that and that was seen as as less than than two and one against Quad One, just as, as an example. So the the idea that there's that there's an exact number to it, I, I'd want to stop short of that because if if that's the case, you could simply just rack up twenty twenty five Quad One opportunities if you could figure it out. And, and well, I had five quad one opportunities. Well, if you're five and 20, like, yeah, great. You, you won 20% of your, of your games in that group. Like that's just, um, that's just silly in, in, in some ways. So I, I mean, I, I, I don't know that there's an exact number, but I will tell you this, that, that on the team sheets, um, and this was, um, and this was quite, I'm not sure that this got the attention last year that, uh, that maybe it should have, but on the actual team sheets that are on the NCAA's website right now, Quad one and quad two were divided into kind of quad one, top half, quad one, bottom they, half. They quartered them. Yeah, they yeah. quartered them. Yeah, and, right? and, and they and they did that in order to to sort them a little bit better, to be able to account for the the home away, and to be able to to show um, there were some pretty big discrepancies in terms of win loss record against the top half of the quad one versus the bottom half, and 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 yet some of that makes sense. Jeff Sagarin gave an example. Um, when, when several of us met at the NCA office a couple years ago, um, he gave this kind of extreme example, which is like, I, I like to use extreme examples to, to determine whether something makes sense. And, and in this example, if you've got a team that goes, let's say, 0-14, and, and, and let's hypothetically say that they literally play the 14 best teams in the country all on the road, and they lose every one of them in triple overtime by one point, it's feasible that that is the 15th best team in the country. And they were supposed to lose all 14 of those games. So in a, in a predictive metric like Sagar and like a Ken Palm, it's conceivable that that, that that team could be 15th at Ken Palm. But yet from a results-based standpoint, that team's probably in 130, 140, 150 in, in, in Division I. And, and so that kind of gives you the, the extreme nature of, uh, of that example that we, I don't think we want an 0-14 team in the tournament. To your point on quad one, I don't know that we want a team that's three and 11 against quad one and then might have another loss or two in quad two and quad three. And they simply have three wins to somebody else's two because they played more games. I'm not sure that we want that to, to be the case. And I think that the committee's history over the last couple of years with that Sagar and example in mind um, has kind of played out in, in, in such a way that, that the number of opportunities has, has certainly been considered. Kevin, do you think we'd benefit from the NCAA revealing, like they, they've kind of kept, you know, here's the net, but they don't tell you here's how the net is is put together. Like you can probably, I'm sure somebody as smart as you can kind of figure it out. Like here's um, this much weight is, is put on this and this much weight is put on this. Do you think schools and, and people who are scheduling – would benefit from knowing, hey, here's the actual floor formula, and is there any any reason why they they shouldn't actually put that out there? Yeah, so so 
I think that there's a lot of people that are that are certainly asking for that. The RPI was was public um, because it was also a lot more simple to to compute. Um, but but I would I would challenge folks that uh, um, that say that um, that that look Ken Pomeroy's formula is not really out there. Um, the other metrics that are on the team sheet those formulas aren't out there. So um, I'm not sure um, I, I'm not sure why we need um, the exact formula. Um, when in some in some ways, uh, I, I'm not sure that, that it can necessarily be reproduced. So if, if you're trying to schedule off off a, a certain formula, understanding the, the, the basic criteria of the formula, I, I think that that's enough information in, in some ways um, to, to be able to schedule moving forward. If, if you're able to recognize that, that Texas is is 31 year and 50 the previous year you can you can kind of get an idea as to where they fall in the quadrant system in a in a given year or, or or any other team so so i certainly understand why people would 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 clamor for that um and, and i'm not going to necessarily tell them that they're that they're wrong um but i think that that uh, that the nca is um has made a a decision there that's uh, that's in the best interest of the sport um and and to to challenge the nca that they're not releasing net and uh, and not challenge others um, for the for for the same thing is is probably is probably not fair to the NCA. Tim, you got anything else for him? I got one more question. Yeah, you know, I, I was just looking at Rutgers in Quad One and Quad Two. So in the top half of Rutgers, right? If you hear folks, if you just can visualize this or listen, so in the top half, so that that's you know for home games, that's the top fifteen team in the country. And for road teams, it would be 37 uh, because your away uh, quad one games go up to the top 75 teams in the country. But Rutgers is one and eight in the top half. And they're three and one in the bottom half of quad one, which makes them four and nine, which is not bad. You know, not bad. Uh, Now, if you slice them up uh, in the top half of quad two, they are four and oh. And the bottom half, they have one loss on the road to Pittsburgh. But let me just tell you, uh, when you hear quad two, if you just kind of shrug, like, is that any good? It's the number 32 team in the country, the number 37 team in the country, the number 47 team in the country, all top 50 wins and the top 54 team in the country, Indiana. They're great wins. So from 18 to 54, they are seven and one against those two teams. And they are on the bubble. Like they, they're... For, they're right on the bubble until last night or two nights ago when they got a good win. But I mean, the fact that I mean, you're seven and one against the you know eighteen to to fifty five, and so you're I, not a you know you're not an at large team. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So I, I think you make a good point there that uh, that there are teams in quadrant two, especially at home, that are NCAA tournament teams, and 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 that's and, and that's important to note that that there's some differentiation there in terms of home and away. Um, but those are NCAA tournament quality teams, and, and the committee is able to um, to decipher those those details. One of the knocks on on Rutgers right now is their is their record away from home. They're one and eight on on the road. Factual statement. Um, but but very much to your point, um, seven of those eight losses are in the top half of quadrant one on the road, and 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 so yes, it's it's one and eight. Um, but, but as an NCAA tournament team, um, that's, that's potentially seven NCAA tournament teams that they've lost to on the road 
And, and get this, in those seven games, the average margin of defeat for Rutgers is 5.7 points per game. Yeah. So they've yeah. been they've been right in those games. And these are and, and this is where um, in some ways the art comes into it um, beyond the science. Um, rem- remember, and, and, and this isn't a, a loaded answer one way or the other. Um, but remember, but we don't wait, have... wait, 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 wait. When you say the art, you mean the committee gets to do whatever the hell it wants to do. <laughs> the right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That, so, so, so that is, that is where I'm going. But, but to that point, then I'll, I'll pose you to you a question as, as a coach, would, would you rather have it, let, let's say that we could agree upon a single metric that was just so good, which I, which I don't think exists to date. Um, but that it was, that it was so good that we were willing to trust it to select the to select the entire field, and we could even see what the field is today. Um, is that something as a coach that you would be comfortable with, or would you rather um, would you rather have a, a committee of folks do it as opposed to to us math folks? Well, uh, I believe that last year at the end of the regular season, or the end of the conference tournament season, Nebraska was. 18 and 16. And I think our net was like, now we had, you know, been, we had some injuries and some stuff. So we went down, but I think we were like, if you would have just taken, you know, your, your 30 conference winners, and then you'd probably take your next best, you know, or 31, your next best 37, you probably get to about 42. We were like 41 or 42. We were right there. And we weren't NCAA quality, you know? So, so I would tell you the current is not, you know, lined up. Uh, uh, but I do agree there needs to be uh, a committee. What, what I don't agree with is that I, I really, it, the, the criteria, like for instance, in, a, in the football playoff, okay, you're going in and Tom Osborne, I talked about this with Tom Osborne because he was on the college football committee. And granted, you're only picking four teams, you know, well, for crying out loud, you're only picking about five teams or six teams in the NCAA. You know, there's yeah. already 25 that are in. You know, what I mean, like yep. there's 25 that you know. Now we're we're trying to get the last four in, and that's where the eight teams. So really, it's no different, you know, in my mind, uh, than than when we get down to it. And so, but why don't we have any established criteria? Like, you know, we don't have any. You know, let's let's just say the bubble teams, and let's just say regular season conference champ. Oh, well, now the big the high majors are going to scream bloody murder because East Tennessee State might win the regular season but get upset in the tournament. Does that criteria put them in? Is that fair? Whatever. But I wouldn't. I would at least like to have the discussion about some some you know exact uh, criteria that that maybe the committee could work from that everybody agrees on. Now, good luck doing that, right? Yeah, so so I, I so I agree with you. I, I think that that's a that's a good point, and 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 this may this may make you feel a little bit better about it. I'm not sure that the criteria has maybe been articulated as as well as it could, um, but over the last couple of years, as um, as this setup of having multiple metrics and and the quadrant system, um, the committee the last two three years has actually gotten to be pretty consistent year over year, um, and, and that's part of why. Um, so, so some of those metrics in terms of how they how they tie back to the to the field um, has been a little bit more more predictable in, in nature. Now, now that could that could be completely blown up in the future, and I could look like an idiot for for making that statement. 
Um, but the but the consistency of the of the data that's being looked at, the quantity of the data that's being looked at, I think has had something to do with with that. Whereas um, 15, 20 years ago, go go back and watch one of those one of those selection shows, and that's nothing against the the folks that were on the committee or or, or some of the folks that were were speaking to to Greg Gumble on the on the selection show. They they were making points, frankly, that where they just didn't have as much information as as this current uh, as this current committee has. So I think that we're going in the right direction. But um, but your point is definitely well taken. Here here's what I say till we get to CJ's last question is let's use KPI. Let's use KPI, and then you're right sixty seven out of sixty eight times. Yeah. So you give me the list, and then I'll figure <laughs> out the one spot you screwed up. And I'll slide in the 68th team, the last one in. So we'll so, call it Miles's last one in. <laughs> I like it. I, I like it. And, and, and I'll tell you that, that I think that the answer um, to, to what a, a metric looks like is probably somewhere between where KPI is and where strength of record is. Um, I think that strength of record does a better job of rewarding dominance than, than KPI does. And there's some benefits um, that KPI maybe I think does a better job than strength of record. But somewhere in that space between the two, is I think the sweet spot. Um, I'm not sure whether we'll ever get there, um, but uh, but but that might be the answer sometime down the road. Well, every, everyone's going to be upset no matter uh, no matter what <laughs> metrics and, and and how you do it. Um, Kevin, we we really appreciate you uh, you you taking the time. Um, t- ten, 10 seconds. Give me two teams that will be at larges that'll surprise us. Oh wow. Wow. The, the great thing about this is that there's still that there's still time. There's still games for, to be played, but, for, but we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're and, reckless uh, predictions are what we do here. Yeah. So so <laughs> I'll, so I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a couple teams that, to, that that have some possibilities. Purdue did a lot to help themselves um, with the road win at, with the road win at Iowa, um, and they're going to be a really interesting case study because the schedule that to, that Coach Painter plays year in and year out is um, is really fascinating. And then I, I mentioned earlier. Northern Iowa and East Tennessee State. Um, if if either of them are not able to to win their conference tournament, um, their both both of their resumes line up um, very very close to, to what Loyola Chicago's looked like two years ago, under kind of some some different uh, some different uh, metrics and mm-hmm. and kind of a post net environment. And both of them, like Loyola, had a win at Florida two years ago. Both of them have a win to to hang their hat on. So certainly. Um, a couple teams there to to keep an eye on as uh, as we get closer to selection Sunday. Yeah, let's let's get both those guys in. Well, th- thanks uh, thanks so much for for joining us. This was uh, very informative, and um, I-, I think Tim feels better about things. <laughs> no, I I, I love Kevin, <laughs> um, uh, and he and you can see why some of us lean so heavily on him. He's he's so well thought out and articulate and explains things. Thank you very much for coming on, Kevin, and, and you did a wonderful job. Uh, thanks very much for, for uh, joining us. It was made it a great show. Really appreciate you guys having me. Thanks. Well, thanks again to, to Kevin for, for joining us. That was uh, you know probably going to be the most listened to portion of the show because we actually had somebody that, that knew what they were talking about. If I'm a college basketball coach or a fan or an assistant basketball coach or anybody, you better listen to this podcast because it's yeah. it's very informative and great stuff. And it's what's going on when it comes to selection of the NCAA tournament. Great stuff with Kevin. That was a good one, CJ. Yeah, yeah. He he was awesome. And and um, 
I think, aren't you good with uh, Northern Iowa and East Tennessee State? Let's just get them in there. I got to look harder, but I think Northern <laughs> Iowa should be in for sure. I haven't seen East Tennessee State's resume. Come on, I'll, Steve Forbes, I'm backing you, brother. Get, get, get in there. But th- their resume is pretty good. And, and plus, they let me go behind the scenes. So uh, they get extra points. There we for go. That. <laughs> but yeah, that was, uh, that was very informative. And I think. It's it's never going to be like a perfect process. I don't know that the NCAA needed to necessarily add the net because it's just one more thing. Like I think, I think we do need to get to all right. Here's four or five metrics that we're going to use, and let's try to get to a consensus from using those something that all makes sense. Kind of a collective. All right, you can pick out the outliers and the committee should really look at, you know, focus, narrow in on that and, and not maybe have too much noise, right? I think they're getting better at that and they're they're looking at the right things, but there sometimes there's too much noise. Would you would you agree with that, Timmy? Uh, yeah, I agree. You you get numb and uh, you can, you know, paralysis by analysis or analysis mm-hmm. by, you know what I'm saying. It can get really uh, funky, but uh, there are you know, according to Kevin, they're getting better. They're establishing a better criteria. Uh, wouldn't mind hearing what some of those criteria things are. <laughs> for, for sure. Well, this is uh, this has been fun. We are going to skip picks this week. Although, Timmy, you crushed. Nine you and crushed one, baby. The weekend. Nine and one on the uh, overall and, and seven and three against the Kim. I'm, I'm just treading water at this point, but uh, I'm, I'm still leading in, in, in both categories. But we'll we'll be back next week. Some some conference tournaments. Um, it's it's getting fun, Tim. It's about to get fun. I'm heading to the couch right now to watch, man. <laughs> All right. Well, with 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 uh, we'll let you get there. And uh, America, you make sure and stay efficient out there. <laughs>